Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 138 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where we sit down with the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, wow, we've got a real treat. I catch up with my friend, renowned food and drink writer and critic, Virginia Miller, at the American Distilling Institute Annual Judging of Craft Spirits. And together we dissect some of the most exciting food and drink trends in the Bay Area and beyond. She's the Western North America Academy Chair for the world's 50 best restaurants, among many other roles and passions that we'll cover during this interview. But before we jump in, let's take a quick moment to hear from former podcast guest Peter Alf of Mount Defiance Distilling in Middleburg, Virginia. He's got an exciting event on tap as the weather warms up, and he's offering an exclusive discount for listeners of this podcast. Check it out. Hello, Modern Bar Cart listeners. This is Peter Alf from Mount Defiance Cidery and Distillery. I wanted to share with you a great event that's coming up in June, the Middleburg International Absinthe Festival. It's going to take place at the Mount Defiance Cider Barn in, you guessed it, Middleburg, Virginia. It's going to feature all things absinthe. We'll have absinthe makers and experts from far and wide ready to share their creations and their expertise with you. There will be seminars by folks like Ted Bro, founder of the Jade Line of Absinthe, who will talk about the history of absinthe. And Brian Robinson of the Wormwood Society will teach you how to select an absinthe at the store and then how to prepare and evaluate it. Live music, food, and much more will be going on. Check out the ever-growing list of participating absinthe makers and other exhibitors at absinthefestivalsusa.com. That's absinthefestivalsusa.com, where you can also buy tickets for this awesome event. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you this June in Middleburg. We're going to play this reminder one or two more times between now and June, but the most important piece of information is that if you head on over to the link in the show notes page and purchase tickets, you can use the coupon code MODERNBARCART, all one word, at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. That means just because you listen to this podcast, you get savings. Easy as that. This is going to be a great event. I'll be there along with some other great friends sampling and selling cocktail mixers and mingling with the crowd. So come on out to Middleburg, Virginia in early June to chase the green fairy with me and a bunch of other folks who love flavorful handcrafted products. Thanks for being a good sport about that announcement. And you know what? As a reward, let's take a moment here so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the death in the afternoon. You know, as I was thinking about absinthe based on Peter's note and my West Coast road trip, my chat with St. George Spirits distiller Lance Winters about Hemingway, you know, the death in the afternoon just seemed like an appropriate cocktail to feature here. To make this refreshing drink, you'll need a quarter to a half an ounce of absinthe, 
use the real stuff. And if you're here in the Mid-Atlantic, consider using some of the beautiful products from Mount Defiance or 10th Ward Distilling. And then dry, sparkling wine to top. Make sure it is super, super chilled. That's it. To make this drink, you take your absinthe, you pour it into a champagne flute or a white wine glass, then slowly top it up with chilled, sparkling white wine. If you're really ambitious, feel free to throw in a dash or two of bitters before you use that sparkling wine. And, you know, I've tried this drink variously with our embitterment aromatic orange and lavender bitters. And if you're smart about your wine pairings, you can really come up with something special there. So consider dressing it up a bit. I love the death in the afternoon because it's a practice in elegance, not just simplicity. Because you have such a vibrant selection of dry sparkling wines from around the world and because the U.S. has been experiencing a rebirth of absinthe culture since it was re-legalized, you've got some real choices on your hands. Yes, you can pick up the cheapest versions of these bottles, but if you're someone who cares deeply about flavor, you can put in a little thought and really push this elegant drink to the next level. So, now that you've got a sessionable afternoon sipper in hand, let's turn our attention back to this stimulating romp through the Bay Area and the rest of the world featuring my friend Virginia Miller. Some of the topics we discuss include how Virginia leveraged her innate curiosity to transition from a homeschooled education to a career in food and drink writing at the highest possible levels. How to train your palate to like everything, even those things that you might have grown up really hating or, you know, even fearing. What Virginia has learned from visiting over 11,000 restaurants and more than twice that many bars around the world. Why she's still in love with her home city of San Francisco, including a review of some of the most beautiful and innovative food and drink programs in that city today what it means to elevate food and beverage beyond local offerings, including a metaphor that involves taking apart an engine, the simple, elegant appeal of rhubarb gimlets, kimchi oysters, and much, much more. My favorite thing about Virginia is that she's someone who is so thrilled to make really close, intimate eye contact with food, drink, and the people who make it. Her career is almost impossible to summarize in less than five minutes, but what we're going to have to do here is let her experience with Zagat, Liquor.com, Whiskey Magazine, and dozens of other top-class publications pave the way for the wisdom she imparts in this interview. Virginia is a polymath who, like all great thinkers and technicians, elevates both the medium and the artists who create it. And to me, that's what makes her so special. I hope you enjoy this tasting menu of a conversation featuring the eloquent palate and grounded wisdom of my friend, Virginia Miller. Virginia, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. Wow. We just wrapped up some intense spirits tasting. Yes. I think it seemed to me 
a little even more intense than last year because we didn't even really move into the third day too much. Like we right. did almost three days worth of tasting in two days. Exactly. So I'm a little, I'm a little fried right now. I'm really fried. Um, <laughs> and especially because you, what we're going to talk about here is we're going to talk about some of the the global perspective that you gained through through traveling and um, working through a bunch of kind of like review uh, organizations who are basically put in charge of telling people what the best bars and restaurants in the world are. So you're on the go. You came here from China and Canada, right? Yeah, Canada this week. China a couple months ago, because of course now we've got the wonderful coronavirus, mm -hmm. so which I am concerned about. I was supposed to be back in China next month, and so that trip's now canceled. But I was just in Chengdu a couple months ago, doing a Sichuan deep dive. But but yeah, I am always judging. And and one thing I thought that was interesting this week is I judge places even like IWSC. I'll judge spirits there in in England, and. You know, the last couple of days, we've run a lot longer. Like those days at IWSC, we'll kind of do like a nine to four kind of thing, long, mm -hmm. full day. But we've been going this week, you know, nine to six mm -hmm. or, or later. We've had a lot of spirits, over, yeah. a, over a thousand spirits to get through or roughly. What did you see that was exciting to you this week? <sighs> well... We're still at the stage where we've just blind judged everything. I haven't seen any bottles. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what brands we're drinking. Um, I know the categories. I've, I've judged everything. And, and I'm a, a lead judge for, or anchor judge as they call it. I have a panel called the Wild Cards. So we judge everything. Everything from whiskey and um, mezcal to liqueurs to, I mean, we were shochu. We were all over the place. Oh, yeah. So one of the craziest things I saw this week, and I don't always see a lot that's new. And I've been doing, I've been doing dining and cocktail judging 15 years, but spirits about 10. And I had a flight of mare's milk spirit. A whole flight just two, but okay. two different spirits. I don't know if they're the same producer. They were totally different. And I thought, is this a new trend that's coming? Mare's milk spirit distilled from milk. I have had um, black cow vodka over the years past. Mm -hmm. And that's that vodka is distilled from milk. Right. Creamy texture, but being vodka, it's pretty neutral. Mm -hmm. These were like funky, ripe cheeses and cheese rinds. Oh, that is... Can you imagine when bar bartenders get their hands on that? Oh my goodness! Well, the best part was we golded and double golded both of them. Both of those got awards, <laughs> and that's very rare for a flight of two. Yes, it is very rare, and actually, it's the only double gold my panel had all week. Mm -hmm. And we had a few golds and very few. I, I we really had very few golds. So the fact, and one of the reasons I think I get called on to chair a wild cards panel is. I am misadventure. I am. I love the thrill of the hunt. I love trying everything. I eat everything, no matter where I go in the world. I mean, if you want to serve me, I've had had all of the above: five course dinner of bugs, intestines in multiple forms. I mean, I've done it all on the food side and drink. Same thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm one that doesn't balk on that. But of course, I'm still looking. I'm also anal retentive about balance, balance, balance some elegance, some mm -hmm. restraint. And these mirror's milk spirits, whatever they were, um, were elegant and restrained. One of them mm -hmm. was a really approachable cheese. And the other one was like drinking rinds and blue cheese together. And I, as a food and drink writer and critic these 15 years, my first thought was, okay, this with the cheese course in a tasting menu mm -hmm. or with 
a mushroom course, but you'd be mind blowing. It was earthy yet silky with the milk. And so that was one of my most exciting discoveries. That was the most exciting discovery this week, I would say. I love that because we get people who are in they're they're basically the top of their field in whatever, in brandy, in whiskey, in whatever. Yes. And they're these people who you sit next to them and you something comes out of their mouth and like I'll look over and I'll be like, man. I, it just it just makes you feel small, yes. not small in a bad way, but small in like, wow, exactly. This type of knowledge is attainable, exactly. But but you the way that you're approaching this, and I, I love it. It's actually more my style. Um, it it strikes me as more of a sort of like ground up approach to something. Yes. You walk up to it. It doesn't matter what it is. You take the you take the little napkin off it. You you reveal what it is. You say you pick it up and you kind of turn it over your hands and you say, okay, what can I do with this? What is it? What does it look like? Is it prickly? Mm-hmm. Is it smooth? Where does can it I, fit? Can How I does roll it, play? it? Yeah. <laughs> like what, is, what does it do? And, and I, th- that sort of general approach to things is something that, that we really advocate for on this podcast because we're speaking to a lot of home consumers. Yes. And I think, you know, I'm personally home educated. I mean, getting real deep. I was homeschooled, Mm. (laughs) didn't moved across the country at age 18, six weeks out of homeschool, fully self-supporting, moved from New Jersey, just outside New York city, back to California where I'd been as a kid and then kind of made my own life in San Francisco and became a food and drink writer really through the back door, through passion. Mm. And I always thought I dreamed of being a writer since I was five, but I always thought I won't have a chance without a college degree and I couldn't afford to go to college and I was just working all the time. But passion and knowledge does get you somewhere. Um, It can. And I find that it is exactly what you're talking about. It was that curiosity of just, I am, I want to try everything. I want to know everything. And I don't mean know everything, like be able to control it or manage it, but I'm just constantly curious. Mm -hmm. So I have followed every rabbit trail. And I think my best education has been to try everything. If I can taste 500 um, Gruner Veltliners, I should probably taste 3000. And that's kind of been my approach. It's just keep everything that comes in front of me. Uh, It's a rule when I'm with friends, when I'm with colleagues, whatever table I'm at, the only rule is I taste everything. (laughs) And I've done that for so long. I've done that for 20 years now. And that's how I got my palate. That's my greatest education is to just say, all right, I'm ordering one cocktail, but I'm tasting all 10 of my friend's cocktails. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Give me a straw, whatever we need to do to keep it healthy, but I'm tasting everything. Give me a bite of every dish. And I think that has been my greatest education. And that comes from just a curiosity to even things I've hated. And I've, I've been editor of many different places over the years, but when I was editor at Zagat for a few years, I, they at one point wanted kind of a national essay on whatever we wanted to write about. And I wrote about being able to train yourself to like everything because I believe it's possible and I've done it. And so even things I hate, and that as a child, which were many things I grew up hating, even through my twenties, I trained myself to like, and I came around to, and I feel like there's there's something that often happens where people will tell me, especially with things like we're doing this week, they'll go, well, taste is just subjective anyway, right? It's just what you like versus what I like, and we're all different. There's some truth to that, but I feel it's kind of like learning an instrument. And I was a music girl too, and loved to sing and, and t- took voice lessons and all those things. I have a mediocre voice, but I could make it better. 
And for those years I, I took lessons, I did make it better. And I think the palate's the same way. You can train yourself. And I find there is a universal language. Mm-hmm. When I meet my kindreds, when we get in a room with all of us, even whether whether it's the rum person next to the brandy person next to the gin person, certainly there's a geekiness level, but there's also... There's a certain growth that happens over time to your palate where funky and oxidized, uh, bitter, as we experienced with Amari, flavors you might have been scared of before become approachable, even coveted. It's not everyone's favorite, mm-hmm. but there's a point where you break past that prejudice against it, mm-hmm. you know, where we're wired to resist bitter, right? But then Amari lovers chase it. And I think there's a point when you break through that, we're all speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. And I have learned that it's almost as someone who's on the drink side, my first passion is spirits and cocktails. And that's my greatest knowledge. I'm a big wine and beer geek too. And I find when I'm with Psalms, they think I'm a wine person. But there's that point where thousands and thousands of each variety later, we're speaking the same language. Yeah. And that's not even my, my first area of expertise. I write about it and I've written about it a long time and I wine pairings with food are, are crucial. It's life's blood. It's crucial to a to a great dinner or tasting menu or a Michelin level restaurant. I, I look at the wine list as much as the food. Mm-hmm. But I judge in spirits and cocktails. That's my first love. And but we still speak the same language. So I think it's trainable. And again, we're talking no education, home, passion, taught. <laughs> I think I just had an insatiable hunger. And mm-hmm. that's how I got here. And I still pinch myself how I got here. <laughs> yeah, when you're sitting next to some of these people, it is that, that is a, a necessary thing to do because it's, you know, yes. on one hand, they are real people. Of course. But on the other hand, they are incredible people. Yes. And um, I've got, that's my other privilege is I've gotten to learn from some of the best over the last 15 years. I've mm-hmm. been able to be, be places and be judging with the best in the business. And mm-hmm. of course, that's another part Pick of my education for sure. Yes. You know, I love the way you're talking about flavor. One of the ways, one of the things I like to say about flavor is it's my favorite way to participate in the universe. Yes. Um, I love it. It's one collection of molecules taking another smaller, different collection of molecules into itself. Mm. And in that way, it's, you know, everything's being changed. And so it's really, it's the universe participating in itself. Exactly. It's how the Um, universe flows. This is the microcosm of what's happening everywhere. Exactly. And so it's my favorite way of of doing that. And I think the way that you're talking about the, at at a certain point you break through and that universal language becomes very clear. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's very hard. There's something ineffable about, uh, judging at a competition like this. And I, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to communicate that to our listeners by, you know, sitting down with a few judges. Um, but beyond this ADI, (laughs) when I think of you, I, I think of you as the sort of Carmen San Diego of, (laughs) of food and drink. What are some things you've been seeing in your recent travels that, our listeners at home hmm. either A, might not be aware of as, as kind of popular things in other places, or B, might want to be on the lookout for next time they either go into the liquor store or um, sit down at, at their favorite cutting edge restaurant. Yes. Well, here's the challenge and the fun part is the joy and the gift of my work and where it's gone is that I'm able to go to you know, all continents really, but Antarctica. I haven't, haven't traveled there yet. <laughs> Not sure what food and drink is happening, but... Um, slushies. Yeah, exactly. Warm it up and make I, slushies. I see lovely sh- slushies. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I there are different movements and levels that a continent, a country, mm-hmm. a state, 
a city. Yes. So there are things that are happening that I see in the world that, you know, as someone who grew up in suburbs of New York and LA, um, but my chosen home is San Francisco as an adult, San, San Francisco's much smaller and often far more progressive. I, A lot of the things I see in the world, San Francisco was doing 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how I got schooled. That's another part of what really raised my palate and raised my game was moving to San Francisco. It's such a tight as only seven by seven miles. It's this tiny city and region. It's a much broader region with Napa, Sonoma and all the many wine regions well beyond those, you know, Mendocino, Santa Cruz Mountains, all these incredible wine regions we have well beyond. It's such a tight palate Mm -hmm. and progressive palate that I really got schooled there. So part of it is, okay, I see these things around the world and I think I've seen that at home ages ago. Mm-hmm. Another part of it is, okay, this is finally hitting Asia now or South America. So I try to judge things in context and get excited about it in context. And also just because the trend has happened in America, let's say already in the Americas, and it's now happening in Asia, it often has a different iteration mm-hmm. or a different twist. And so I get excited to see how that will play out. Yeah. And I love seeing a local angle. I hate I hate going to my umpteenth, you know, bar where they want to serve me a boulevardier and I just want to roll my eyes and go, you know, the old pal's always been a better cocktail and less sweet anyway. <laughs> As if you want a variation on a Negroni with uh, with with whiskey, that's also classic. It's just a better cocktail. Don't serve me another boulevardier. I do get bored by some things, but I love seeing even a classic with a local twist and, and spirits with a local twist. And so I still find even when I've, I, I feel seasoned and old already that I've seen a million things. I, I guess we should give context in that. I've just kind of last year passed the 11,000 mark on restaurants I've visited around the world and double that of bars. Wow. So sometimes you can think you've seen it all and you have this mare's milk thing was fresh this week, but, <laughs> but you really have. But at the same time, I haven't seen it in that country. Yeah. And so, so when I talk about trends, as it were, I kind of have to put it in context. Um, again, being so proud of my home city that I didn't grow up in, but just, like I said, completely schooled me, even as someone that was, by no means, I did not grow up provincial. New York and LA are the most populated cities and regions in in the country. But um, it schooled me in such a way, even now I still see things there I haven't seen in the rest of the world. Um, For example, uh, True Laurel, a bar that opened two years ago, or roughly two years ago, um, from a whole crew of Lazy Bear, which is one of my favorite fine dining restaurants in the world, really. It's a two Michelin star, incredible, very unique experience where you almost have like a dinner party experience upstairs looking down over the dining table. Then you move down and sit at a communal table. Very playful, unique, but just exceptional. Former mm-hmm. lawyer turned turned chef. Personal passion as well that drove him. It's a place just, just full of passion. Incredible vintage wines incredible cocktails, lots of carrot eau de vies from Austria and other mm. things I geek out about that are too expensive for most people to play with in cocktails, but they do it there. Um, so those guys decided a couple of years ago to open a bar and that uh, made me very happy. And so you take that two Michelin pedigree and you put it in a bar and it's brilliant bar food and they're, um, former, I had the oysters. Yes. Yeah. They, oh, right. It's the incredible. Kimchi, they, they basically, they took kimchi, they shaved it up. They froze it into ice, 
and then they shaved it over the oysters, which was like, that's a brilliant way to manipulate kimchi, which is itself a manipulated product that requires fermentation. Yes. Come on. Exactly. And if you just put kimchi on that oyster, it's going to be clunky and chewy and break mm -hmm. up the silky texture, but you put it in ice and it stays silky. It mm -hmm. stays, it stays cool and cold. It's genius. They're that way. That's their kind of bar. That's their bar food. The place is casual, absolutely casual, um, hip, but casual. And Nick Torres, Nicholas Torres was, was the bar manager at Lazy Bear those years. And he opened the bar and to this day still, if you want to geek out and ask what's going on, it's there. If you don't want to, it's a pretty basic looking menu. You're not, they're not getting too fussy, but he'll be the kind of guy, you know, from the, the beginning was doing like a fermented Shinko tonic and it'll, it'll be a simple three ingredient drink, but one of those ingredients he spent quite a bit of time on and it's ingredients you don't often see a lot of places. There's a few bars in San Francisco like this, but he will do like a, a Rancio wine based cocktail. It's it's low proof. It's oxidized. It's interesting. It's funky, but it's not another sherry cocktail. Although mm -hmm. I love my sherry cocktails and I'm crazy about them. Um, but, and one of the best sherry bars historically has been in your city in DC, mm -hmm. Mockingbird. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> still on the, it's, it's not open anymore. It, it unfortunately, I, I know it was supposed to reopen. Yeah. It's the, it turned into the Derek Brown pop-ups. Gotcha. The, or the drive, I should say the drink company pop-ups. But um, Chantal, who who is kind of the driving force behind that, does this amazing thing in D.C. called Literary Cocktails. Ooh. So for those of you who are listening in the D.C. region, which is many and legion, <laughs> um, definitely uh, hit up her. Her handle is at Shinobi Paws. Oh. Uh, we'll stick that in the show notes. Uh, but she she does this uh, weekly reading series where she will, she'll actually read the book and then she takes that, that research that she's done and it's usually fiction or art or poetry or some something that's non it's not like you know salt she's not reading salt and then making right. salt cocktails but she'll take that and she'll make a whole menu of original cocktails about it like every week oh my goodness i is, love this it's like a, a creative uh like process that, that is just incredible so she's still around doing amazing things and there's P.S. There's a ton of sherry on that menu usually. Oh, beautiful. Thankfully, <laughs> yes. carrying the tradition on because that was a great pioneering sherry bar. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, oh, and I love as a literature buff and a big reader my whole life. I love the literary focus too. That's great. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm all about that sort of thing. But a lot of people still don't use Rancio or those type of mm -hmm. wines, and it's it's just kind of the next geeky frontier of some of that. So he'll do cocktails based with that. He will take things like California guava and um, if I'm, if I remember right, fermented and or it, yeah, ferment it and turn that into a wine. And it ends up being this acidic floral, mm. clean, lean wine, not fruity, but very floral and aromatic. And he will make a cocktail then based out of that. I mean, it's just the level of care and detail, but also creativity. You just don't see drinks like that elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and it's funny, you just brought up salt. That also made me think another, another guy here in San Francisco, um, uh, Michael Kudra at um, Quince, which is a three Michelin star restaurant. He has the the luxury and the blessing there of being able to, you know, have all these vintage Amari, vintage Grappa, 
vintage vermouth and he'll make cocktails out of that. So he can be very decadent. But where he gets really interesting is, and this was, you know, really the first time I had seen that a few years back, was he did a saline solution library. And, you know, people do saline solution in cocktails. Again, I've seen that in San Francisco over a decade ago. That's not new. I, un I understand salt in cocktails is not new. And just like cooking, it brings it together, ties it all up, um, harmonizes ingredients that were disparate. But he has like Himalayan pink sea salt solution, um, you know, black lava salt solution, salts from mm -hmm. all parts of the world. It's a whole library. He gets his cocktails dialed into that level. You get smoked salt. Oh my God, you know, it's like all it's there. And I just went, you know, this is genius. <laughs> and so geeky and wonderful at that level. And um, and again, he was at the aviary in his early mm -hmm. days and comes from the East Coast originally. Like he's moved about, but I really think there at Quince, he's been able to realize, like, go with it full steam like that yeah, get some real resources behind it do what he wants to do and um it's been amazing to see that so those are those cool it's not even it hasn't even trended if you will but those are those progressive things that just to make that case of i see that in my city even the, the sherry case you know 15 romolo it's one of my all-time favorite bars and it walks that fine line between kind of cocktail spirits geeks bar with over 100 spirit or over 100 that's not much over 700 spirits um but it's over 20 years old in an alley in North Beach in San Francisco. They've got superb cocktails. They've got all of that. But it's also got this nice old school dive bar kind of vibe and a great jukebox. So it's really chill. Longtime industry hangout. One of my all time favorite, not only San Francisco bars, but bars in all of the U.S. And they have had such a sherry program for so long that, you know, they were the first and I still believe only place in the U.S. to just sweep the World Cup in Jerez. You know, they won Sherry Psalm, the food pairings, because they also do food, food pairings with Sherry, cocktails. Wow. And yeah, it's it's just, it's it's amazing how progressive, and it's a tip, in typical San Francisco form, just quietly chill, doing that for so long. And again, as someone that, you know, my parents were still just outside New York City till just a few years ago, someone who's always back in New York and LA and the rest, I was, I, I never saw just Sherry in New York till many, many years after they were doing that. Mm -hmm. It was already huge in San Francisco. So it's a place that's very progressive. Same thing. They were the biggest drinkers of Frenette long before the rest of the world, yeah. you know, tw again, 20 years ago kind of thing, um, 15, 20 years ago. So it's one of those things that they always seek, seek the next, the next palette thing. So that's, it, it's a place where I immediately felt at home and also kind of, it kind of egged me on, but, um, but where I've, I mean, I've been so many places lately, it's hard to know where to start, where I could share trends in the last six months alone. I've been everywhere, as I mentioned, from Chengdu, China, uh, to Sicily, a few weeks in Sicily, mm -hmm. to Singapore, uh, Paris, back in Paris again, um, back in Vancouver, back, you know, just so many places, Ontario. And well, let me, let me just pull a US trend cities. out of like what yeah. you've said, what, like, cause I, I, I am seeing something that is kind of a through line. First of all, we're going to yes. put a link in the show notes page to our interview with Chantal about Sherry in case yes. anybody needs a little refresher on Sherry. That was great. Um, I think the through line for me with what you're saying, the places that you're describing and the method that they're using. Mm -hmm. So DC industry people who are listening, feel free to reverse engineer this if you want to. But what I'm hearing is that you're, you're really identifying people who are taking something mm -hmm. that's intentional, right? So you're, you're set, you go back to the Boulevardier. Yes. Boulevardier with a local spirit, like with a local bourbon or a local rye and maybe a local Amaro. 
Shout out to Don Ciccio in DC. And Don Ciccio is my favorite. I have I have interviewed <clears throat> him, done multi-page interviews from the early days when he opened. So yes. I just want to say shout out shout to out that. To that is my favorite. <laughs> Francesco's amazing. And that whole line, I have so many the C3 on, I have so many favorites yes. in that line. <laughs> but so that's almost expected now. Yes. It's almost yes. expected that you have a local spirit of course. and a local modifier with it. That's really not advancing the conversation. But what no. you're describing, these places, and I, I got to sit at the bar and watch it at True Laurel. What you're describing at these places is somebody who's taking, who's going beyond just local liquor and local modifier right. and taking, they're deconstructing what the end product has to be. It's mm -hmm. almost like taking an engine apart. Mm -hmm. When you take that engine apart, it's laying out on a blanket and all these little pieces. And they're, they're getting into all those little crevices, cleaning it perfectly, painting it whatever color they want and reassembling it to make this product that is exactly what it was when it came out of the car. Yes. But now it works in a way that's not only effective, but it's beautiful because they've considered every step of that process. And I don't know personally how you reverse engineer that, except sweat and yes. toil like mental toil as well. Yes. And I think there is a point of getting out of your head and getting out of the expected and what's, what's local. I think again, I didn't mean to make this all about San Francisco, but I, you know, I, I see so much of it here first. And when I think about some global trends, it's still not as progressive as some of these things I want to share with yeah. you. Danny Louie, another, another great longtime um, Chinese San Franciscan born native. Um, he has had some amazing bars and menus over the years. He was doing incredible Baiju cocktails. I, I think I, when I was Zagat editor again, yeah, this is probably six, seven years ago, I was writing about his Baiju cocktails and he wouldn't just do funky savory cocktails. He would do fresh melon, refreshing, light, easy, where it was just this hint and show the range of what you could do with Baiju. But he's been at Mr. Jews running the bar at Mr. Jews for years now. And that is a Michelin, you know, one of the many Michelin star restaurants in San Francisco. That's just a Michelin star Chinese restaurant, modern Chinese. And he will even with his martini, it's Dungeness crab shells steeping in the the, the gin and the vermouth, it's, you know, you get, it, it's beyond just, can we put some oyster mm -hmm. essence in here? And I've had, I, I'm all about all the briny good, you know, the seaweed gins, which again, I saw here years ago as well, all from seaweed in our, in the ocean right here, that sort of thing. I love all that sort of thing, but he'll take it this, the next step further and go, well, let's do Dungeness crab. Let's put these, you know, let's, let's mm -hmm. literally decompose a crab. And, you know, then you're kind of talking, you know, waste free, how can we use our refuse mm -hmm. and our waste? And it's kind of, it just keeps making things give yeah. a little bit further, a little bit longer and he'll do that. And then suddenly we've got yeah, briny and crabby and funky and good. And mm -hmm. it's, and it's, and it's local and it's interesting. And it's, it's only in Dungeness crab season, which is, you know, over the winter and early spring yeah. for us here Great. in, in uh, the Bay area. And it's just a joy. So there's many ways. I think you got to just kind of get out of your head. Yes, there's a local story to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one aspect, but it's beyond just subbing out classics for local spirits. Like you said, I think there's deconstruction involved, deconstruct it, rebuild it. It's, I know molecular became a dirty word in the dining world and the cocktail world, but I'm still all for it as long as the taste is there. It's, it's reimagine it, rebuild it, just like you said, just like that car, get under the hood, play with it. And then what comes out, you know, this is, this is when it can get really exciting. Even when I think of um, nine years ago in roughly nine years ago when I did uh, a, a couple weeks in London 
And I've been, you know, many times since, but a couple of weeks in London, going to a ton of bars and restaurants. And I was at, at beef eater and, and I was back, uh, at, um, at the time at, uh, Tony Conigliario's lab. And one of the best things I ever had that whole time was a rhubarb gimlet made it with beef eater, but you know, and this was all using expensive, fancy equipment, which I get most people can't afford to have, but they rotovapped that, uh, rhubarb, just that intense, beautiful, tart, gorgeous flavor of rhubarb with the gin, with some bitters, simple, mm-hmm. light pink, gorgeous. And I just felt like I was drinking rhubarb with yeah. some botanicals. And I mean, that's another one of those things where there's probably other ways to play with that, but the purity of that was just mind blowing. It's almost a decade later. And mm-hmm. I have had, if I've been to over 20,000 bars, I've had hundreds, I've tasted hundreds of thousands of cocktails, <laughs> you know, cause some of those bars I might taste 10 or 12 in a sitting easy. Yeah. Um, and I still remember that cocktail. Yeah. I still think about it, you know, as just perfection pinnacle. So I love elaborate and creative and fancy and funky and interesting. And I also love just that purity of or even like I said, with the guava wine, Nick was doing a true laurel, just that purity of going, how can I take one ingredient and show it off like like there's no tomorrow, like yeah. it's never been shown. And that could be have a real local story. It could be a local ingredient or it could be a commonplace everyday, you know, when someone makes me rethink horseradish or <laughs> rethinking celery. horseradish. Yes. That's the title of your next article. There we go. Rethinking That's it. Horseradish. An ingredient I love, by the way, and I adore savory cocktails and and things along those lines. But when someone can just even I think that's another way too. pick an ingredient, play with it, tear it apart, build it back up. Mm-hmm. How else? How could I show it off? How could I mellow it out without losing its essence? There's many ways. How could I make a hater love it? Yeah. That's another, that's another way. I think of the lime brine, like the lime brine <laughs> yes. that Ian Griffiths was doing oh, for, yes. for Trash Tiki. Um, the last thing I, I kind of want to bring together here is some, you know, I asked about trends and we, we ended up going into particulars, which is, I think, again, the way that you and I kind of approach things from the yes. bottom up, you walk up to it and you pick it up. I think in general, some of the trends that we're seeing in the industry is a focus on health and wellness. Absolutely. A focus on, like you said, sustainability and waste management. Yes. Big time. Um, and I think those two trends, in addition to some of the other trends we've been mentioning, are sort of at the forefront of pushing some of these innovations because as we do better things for ourselves, our employees, and our planets, yes. you know, a moment ago I said, I don't know how you you can reverse engineer some of this creativity beyond time, sweat, and mental toil. That's right. Well, you have more opportunity to spend time in sweat and mental toil if you're taking better care of yourself and if we are as a group taking better care of of our planet. So I think that might be the little secret recipe that is helping things move forward here. I don't know enough about it. I haven't visited as many places as you have, but I think I I suspect that that might have something to do with it. I think so. And I think that you know, it's not just longtime people in the industry, although I'm seeing a lot of the waves being led by those who have been mm-hmm. longtime because and like myself as well, we've we've been around the block and you realize, you know, the first couple of years, yeah, I was just going nuts, going, This is my dream come true to do this as work and to mm-hmm. write about it and every tasting menu and let's gain gain that twenty pounds and do that whole and then you realize 
the longer it goes on. I, I can't do that every night. Mm. I can't get up and work another 12 hours tomorrow on the computer, writing articles and deadlines and, and then go out at night tasting and get drunk. I can't do that. Yeah. And then do it again the next seven days. I can't do it. And so you do the longer you are in it. So sometimes I do see there's, there's new young people doing innovations. And then there's also a lot, of, I think a lot of wisdom from people in the, who have been doing this the last 10 to 20 years. Um, Je Jennifer Kalau is another one who comes to mind, who many people know for small hand foods. I mean, she does the best bottled orgeat in existence that actually tastes as close. I've made orgeat myself and it's so much work and it, it tastes as close to homemade, fresh, barmade and bottled as, as can be. But she's also for a long time, you know, ran also another very unique, progressive, one-of-a-kind bar in San Francisco called Interval. Um, she yeah, I went, I went there as well. Yes, and she has a new one now in Oakland, Here's How. But she also sadly won at the Perennial, which was, which was a, for the few years it was open, the most progressive environmental, a mentally, a environmentally forward restaurant in the world um, in San Francisco as well, down to, you know, aquaponics, farming, and all that. She was doing the bar program and even just her use reusing ice, which can sound kind of crazy in terms of you shook it up and isn't it, you know, it's, it's got the cocktail. She had a whole program to try to minimize, minimize the use of ice and led the, led the charge on getting rid of, of straws before that became a law in San Francisco. Now, now we can't, if we, you know, if we wanted to, we have to come up with other forms of straws. But she was thinking through all that. And again, I think that's part of the next charge, like you said, that wellness, caring for each other, caring for the planet. And I think a lot of people that have been doing this long enough, they're over they're over being cool and being discovered and doing the next crazy thing. And they're trying now to come up with systems and ways to make this sustainable for the long haul. Yeah. How do how do we live with this? If we are gonna do this day in and day out, we can't just party hard and run ragged and use every resource along the way. Yeah. We have to be thoughtful and conscientious and, and balanced. And um, it's not an easy pursuit, but I do think there's a rising tide right now globally on that front. And it's crucial at this point. But I love seeing that from the bar world because I think some people from a distance and even the way I grew up where drink was absolutely bad. And I grew up in a teetotaling household, so yes. it's funny I do what I do. But um, I think... I, I love to see the people that have have both had families and committed relationships and been been responsible in in this community for the last couple of decades, but also are looking to give back. And you know, you've got all the organizations from Speed Rack on that do the same thing. But what what ways can the bar world not just be a party? What ways can drink not just be? decadence, but can be, this is eau de vie, water of life. It's, it's spirits, it's spirited. And how can it, how can it give back and give us life without just taking it from us as well? So I think that's an exciting conversation happening. I would agree. And, yeah. and exactly why I love this industry and kind of fell for it to begin with unexpectedly as someone that did not grow up exposed to any of this, I, I fell for it hard and it's, it's really the people behind it. And that, that comes out in just the, the sheer number of names. And we're going to try and, and put those names and those establishments. We're going to aggregate them, get them in the show notes page for people so that if they visit California and San Francisco, they can check some of that out. Um, but importantly, uh, 
How can people follow you digitally um, so that they can see your travels and, and enjoy them vicariously as I do? Yes, please. Thank you. Um, my own site, which is honestly how I got started, it was, I guess you could call it a blog. At this point, it's me linking to, I, I write, write, have written for, have columns at over 60 publications mm -hmm. around the world. I do a lot of international European publications as well. I, I write every issue of Gin Magazine in the UK. UK and these type of things, cocktail lovers in the UK, um, along with I've been a liquor.com, one of their main writers for many years. Um, that's just the drink side. Then there's mm -hmm. the dining. So these days I basically link to all my articles on my site, but it's the one place where it's kind of easy to go and just find all that there, what I'm writing in a given month. And it'll be my recommends in dining and, and drink and bars and spirits around the world. And I travel about half of every month. So though I will give you endless resources for the Bay Area, I do just as much everywhere else also. And it's called The Perfect Spot, um, theperfectspotsf.com, because way back in 2007 when I started it, The Perfect Spot was taken. <laughs> so it's not just SF, but if you Google The Perfect Spot, you'll find me no problem. And that is my handle. The Perfect Spot is my handle on Instagram. Facebook and Twitter. And I'm constantly posting travels and tastes and best ofs and, um, you know, even bot bottle recommends and spirits as well as bars and restaurants. I, I do judge, you know, I'm a chairperson for world's 50 best restaurants and, and other, um, many other restaurant and dining, uh, awards as well as bar awards and spirits. And so I'm just always sharing a lot there, just a great love, a lot of day, a lot of day to day. I'm tasting this. Here's what's happening. This place is amazing. This dish is amazing. Uh, this particular drink. So please, I'd love to have you follow along and, and, uh, thanks for having me today. Yeah. And we've got, uh, we've got a bar calling our name and a, and a yes. hopefully a sunset. Yes. A beautiful sunset over, over my city, over the Bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that journey song wasn't, uh, wasn't for nothing. No, so. When the lights go down on the city. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia, thanks so much for sharing your insights and, and for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. 
This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed. Spirits, cocktail, and fine dining insights courtesy of food and drink writer Virginia Miller. And a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.